Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Hello, this week I'm talking to Rachel Pendered, founder and CEO of MediaZoo, a media and PR consultancy with offices in London, Glasgow, Zurich, the Middle East and New York. Rachel founded MediaZoo in 2003 following a very successful career as a TV producer for the BBC. By her very own admittance, MediaZoo was born less out of Rachel's desire to be an entrepreneur and more from a perspective of wanting to form a producer's collective. But it was from these very humble beginnings that MediaZoo became the sizable operation it is today. I really love this conversation with Rachel because, as you'll hear yourselves, she's really incredibly passionate about so many things. Whether it's her personal and professional purpose, the masculine and feminine approaches to business, honing one's entrepreneurial skills, the role of an entrepreneur in society, and the changing landscape of PR and communications. You'll also hear all about the Zooniversity, yes, you heard that right, which has been formed to encourage and nurture young talent. This is a really wide and varied conversation. I really do hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on a guest. I'm really interested to have our conversation today about the communications, PR world, your own personal journey uh, as well. So I suppose we should let's start a little bit you founded or co-founded media zoo in 2003 before that you had a successful career as a tv producer what what brought you into the world of co-founding your own business were you always destined to start your own business rachel well i i can't entirely answer whether it was my destiny or not but i can i can tell you the story of how it happened so i was working at the bbc i ran a small investigations team in the consumer department and we were making uh, long form programs typically on things like serious fraud or where the consumers had been really let let down uh, by the companies that were supposed to serve them uh, people like uh, we featured people like the Craftsman family who had sold extended warranties that they didn't then offer and they had put their business, uh, which was called Tempo, into administration. Um, shows like uh, Britain's Biggest Car Fraud, where uh, vehicles were being stolen in Japan, um, ringed in the free trade era in Sharjah and sold as if they were secondhand vehicles and not stolen vehicles on the market in the UK. So those are the kind of things that I did. And I went undercover and uh, I had great fun. I worked with Donald McIntyre and, um, you know, I I had the most amazing uh, TV career and experience. And I got to to see things, you know, interview Yakuza, all sorts of things. It was wonderful. But what I didn't enjoy about the job, and they say, don't they, that... um, 
people who end up starting their own companies are typically unemployable. And um, yeah. I... That's a fair comment, isn't it, yeah. that we all agree on once yeah. we run our own business. <laughs> yes, it's, it's so true. And what I really struggled with was the red tape, the expenses, being told what to do. And there were sort of real low moments in my career. So I got, for example, this um, interviewee uh, who was going to be at this hotel in the Middle East. And it was this very specific hotel. And I remember going into the production office and saying, I've got this incredible undercover whistleblower and I need to stay in this hotel. And it was 10 pounds more than the rate that you were allowed. You know what I mean? And it was like, I, and they were like, no, you can't stay there. And I'm like, no, I, like it's, I've got a tiny window. I need to stay in that hotel and things like that. And I just really struggled. There was another time I wanted a film in the corridor and um, at the BBC and they were like, oh, you can't do that. And I'm like, it's the BBC. Why can't we film? We're like, oh, health and safety. <laughs> this is a filming studio. This is what we do. Yeah. And I was like, I don't Anyway, so I really struggled with behaving myself and I really struggled with red tapes and a, and a big corporation. Anyway, yeah. but I didn't want to start my own business at all. And what I really wanted, I thought it would be a very lonely road, profoundly lonely, and I wasn't really up mm. for that. So what I wanted to do was start what was in my head a producer's collective. And so the idea was there would be 100 people, 100 shares or up to 100 people. We would all have one share in the business and we would charge our freelance rate, but we would also have an opportunity to... Um, effectively have like a production fee that we would share at the end of the year. And we would always recommend okay. the same sound man, script man or person, sorry, uh, script human um, DOP. And it would mean that you kind of got to work with your gang and make yeah. the best kind of programs. Anyway. So that's where the name Media Zoo yes, came from. Every all the animals in the zoo. I get it yes, now. Yes, all the yeah. animals in the zoo. So, you know, all these different talented people, graphic designers, soundies, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, um, no one got it. No one liked it. No one wanted to join. <laughs> it's very ideological and it sounds great, yeah. but it just... No one, except my co-founder, Mark Killick, who is a creative director of BBC okay. One. And he said to me, he'd left and he was working at Hill and Knowlton uh, as their media council. And he said to me, look... I'm, I'm doing whatever days for, for Hill and Knowlton, but I can give you two days a month. And so it was just me and him. Okay. So I was full time and he did two days a month. And that was the beginning of Media Zoo. It was just me wow. <laughs> with a phone. Um, and, and the genesis of the company was we started off making TV shows for Channel 4 and 5. Um, we did shows for Donal. Um, because he had left the BBC and gone to Channel 5. So we did undercover shows. Um, we did a really cool series with uh, Rankin called Hot Shots, um, which was uh, him turning celebrities into their nemesis, effectively. And it was uh, broadcast on Channel 4, but it was also kind of front page of the sun in the mirror. Yeah. And it was um, uh, people like Ronan Keating dressed as a woman, uh, and uh, it was really great fun, actually, that show to work on. So it, that was kind of how it started, but it was tiny, tiny little company. But it was still very much in the TV world at that point. Pure television, mm. yes. Wow. And if you roll forward, just to give our listeners a bit of context to where Media Zoo is today, what space it operates in, how large is the company now? Yeah, so we have our main campus is here in Chelsea Harbour, where we have four buildings, we have two television studios, we have 18 edit suites, we have sound booths, not that I'm in one today. Um, and we have a, like a campus set up here and we have embedded teams here as well. So this is our headquarters and I'll go into those in a minute. 
We have offices in Scotland. We have offices in uh, Zurich. We have uh, just started MediaZoom Middle East. So we've just got the, uh, the first kind of office in Abu Dhabi. And we have a very small presence in the US, tiny. So not really okay. properly there yet. Um, and uh, we have three main divisions. So we have our PR and comms team. We have our film and content unit. Uh, and we have our digital learning uh, team and designers. And then I guess, obviously, we also have in-house animation, graphics, all of that. But we also have um, what we call Zoo Plus. Um, and Zoo Plus is, uh, is basically um, an outsourcing service. So someone might give us their entire digital learning team. They might give us their whole press office. And we will run that on a three-year contract. Sometimes those people will be here. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they will be in the companies that we work with. Um, and we have them in most of the uh, major banks and management consultants and consultancy firms in the UK. Um, one of those teams doing one of the three things that we do or sometimes two or three of the things. Um, wow. We also have the Zooniversity, which is quite exciting. So it's a new thing, the Zoonies. <laughs> and that's based in Glasgow, so our Scottish office. And what we're doing is we take brilliant, bright young people, and we teach them um, the digital skills they need for us. Um, so we've just started with the first digital course, but we are then going to roll that out into many, many other skills from behavioral science to uh, PR to uh, basic filmmaking, animation, graphics, all sorts. But yeah, we've just started the first kind of intake. So the, the Zoonies are amazing. The Zoonies, yes. I like that. <laughs> are they a bit like the Goonies, that well, old film? <laughs> well, I don't know whether I want them to be like that or not, but um, they, they are certainly bright and Zoonies. brilliant. Yes. Brilliant. And that, that really is that grow your own philosophy then, isn't it? That's coming through. We'll, I think we'll come back and talk to you about that in a moment, Rachel. But I suppose that, that is a an amazing journey to go in that short 19 you know say 19 years short 19 year period from startup very much you know starting doing what you were doing in a paid role in a kind of in your own business to where you are today and so where's is that what really turned you on about the business is it having all these ideas and enabling the business to grow is it still being a creative you know what is it now that makes you wake up and come into work and continue to build MediaZoo? So I think what happens to most people at a certain level is you've made as much money as you need for the rest of your lifetime and it's not about that anymore. It's about purpose and it's about um, doing something every day that matters to you on a personal level. And, I, and, and mm. I think it's really important for me to define what I mean by purpose, which is if, you know, we're headed into really difficult times, um, that's for sure, you know, cost of living crisis, uh, rising, you know, inflation and interest rates. Sometimes I'm really happy that my purpose is to give people a great place to work and good jobs and keep everything going. That, that for me has always felt noble. You know, I remember when um, the first person that worked for me got a mortgage, you know, who came in and said, I'm going to get the mortgage because I've got a job with you. And it was a big deal. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, it's not a big deal when you're a much bigger company, but when you first realize and you sort of connect the dots and it was because they were amazing, but that means a huge amount to me providing, yeah. you know, meaningful employment to people and helping them, yeah. you know, their, their dreams. And that is, has always been a big part of, you know, why, because, because, you know, sometimes, you know, it's a 16 hour day of just, there's a leak 
someone's suing you, something else has happened. I mean, it's endless, <laughs> yeah. you know, just sort of... It's not a smooth journey, no, is it? No, <laughs> it's detritus. It's the detritus of running a business. It just goes on and on. Yeah. But, but you know, so sometimes purpose is, I'm going to change the world and make these incredible campaigns and make films mm. that really matter. And I, I will come back to that in campaigns that really matter. But, but it doesn't have to be... It doesn't have to be that you're going to change the world. It can just be, I'm going to make sure that the experience for the, for the lives that I touch is as good as it can possibly be. That, that, yeah. that for me, can be profound. So, you know, and, and in times of economic difficulty, the role of the entrepreneur in society is really important. And we, you know, we have a duty of care, I think, to help as many people as we can. Um, and so, you know, that for me, my, my father ran a fashion business and, you know, it was always very big and important for him that he um, help people get mortgages, that he helped them with those milestones mm. and that he was part of their lives. And that's what gave him meaning and purpose. And he really made sure that that was, you know, um, deeply sort of in my psyche, I think is probably the way to describe it. And it is so important, isn't it? Because I think, you know, that, again, I think you've sort of touched around some subjects there. I think that role of the entrepreneur in society is really misunderstood, isn't it? You know, the world would say it's all, the entrepreneur just sees it about money, 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 money. And you talk to 95% of people that run their own business, you know, from small to large, and they, they have this sense of responsibility and purpose and care for their teams. And, it, you know, the, there is financial rewards that, come with it if you get it right and you do the right thing and you serve your clients well and you deliver client delight and you look after your team but that's a consequence of having a great idea and doing the right things isn't it doing what's doing what's hard not necessarily what's easy yeah and I think you know for me um I've, I'm a huge and passionate advocate of the role of and the promotion of female entrepreneurship and there's lots of reasons mm. for that and you'll have probably seen some of the things that I've said about that so the work that Alison Rose has done with the Rose Review um digging into the entrepreneurial gender gap in this country and and just to be clear the Rose Review believes that if we close in the next decade if we close the entrepreneurial gender gap in the UK it's worth 250 billion pounds the UK economy um, and and being really sort of um, basic about it pretty much there is two male business owners for every female business owner so there, the ratio is two to one and then in addition to that only one penny in every pound of investment capital from private equity uh, goes to female-led businesses, um, despite the fact that uh, the returns seen from female founders when they do um, get investment are actually 30% higher than uh, th th than a typical sort of um, investment. So, so the world does need more female entrepreneurs and it needs more female entrepreneurs because women run different kinds of businesses and we need great male-led businesses and we need great female-led businesses because that is diversity. Yeah. And we have a yeah. more diverse and fair society when the wealth of everybody is, is shared around better and equally. Um, so I'm incredibly passionate about it. And we did... Um, I'm a huge advocate of the work that Alison is doing. I think she is, you know, mm. making a huge difference. Um, and we did a big campaign for NatWest uh, called Dream Bigger. And the idea was to inspire young girls uh, to believe that they could be entrepreneurs. And so mm. the research that we did showed us that um, at the age of 14, young girls lose their ambition. 
And we don't actually yet know, and I, I want to commission a study on exactly why this happens, but there is, it's to kind of death by a thousand cuts. So peer pressure, throwaway comments by teachers where they just push them towards different subjects or say, no, that, that's not a safe idea. Parents assuming that, um, that it's more like, you know, that, that there's a safer option in accountancy or yeah. graphic design or Take something. Take a job. Take a job in, as a nurse or a professional service or, you know, serve people, that kind of thing, rather than have you know take that spirit that a lot of teenage girls have got and harness it and embrace it and yeah yes so basically boys and girls are equal to 14 and then boys become more ambitious and girls become less ambitious and so we created a campaign um to try and address that so it went out to 40 sorry 55,000 uh young girls in schools a series of films workshops um interactions all sorts of things to help them really think about their ambition and an awful lot of the of the kind of work I do or the interviews I will do I will always try and talk about if you can see her you can be her um the power of role modeling so some of the other thing that, that the other research uh, that came out of the rose review was that one of the single most important things that can happen is if you can see a female leader who you can identify with, you're more likely to believe it's possible. So just like Elliot Kipchoge, you know, running a sub two hour marathon, once it's happened, other people can do it. Um, once yeah. you see um, a woman in a, in a position of power and authority that you can identify with, you can kind of believe it. So it's not people like uh, awesome though she is, uh, you know, Rihanna, who actually has a billion valuation business. It's no, none of us can identify with that. She's a mega, gorgeous megastar. Um, it's, it's kind of kitchen table businesses. It's, you know, women who may employ five people. It's, it's all women at all levels talking about their experience. And it's got to be, surely that means it's got to be role models in the community. And it's got, but that's got to start again at school, isn't it? How do the schools connect with the businesses that are female run and female owned and, and how do they make those connections and how do they get that self-belief in the girls at that age of 14? If that's the critical age, that's a good starting point, isn't it? It, it absolutely is. And if you ask um, uh, the general population to name four female entrepreneurs, most of them can't name one. And if they do, it will be a celebrity entrepreneur. So it won't be somebody like Whitney Wolfhard who uh, founded Bumble and IPO'd it at $13 billion. Um, you know, she is an incredible, and she stood there on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange with her 18-month-old baby as she launched her IPO. I mean, just incredible entrepreneur. Most people have not heard of her. Um, We've got women like Sarah Murray, who founded a unicorn business, who has her um, headquarters in Scotland. Um, she's an incredible entrepreneur. You know, I hadn't heard of her until a year ago when I met her, and she started a unicorn. You know, she's potentially the next Elon Musk. And but do you think, you know, partly does your industry have something to play in this? In the you know, in the media generally, and I, I suppose more, you know, the, the media, the publications, the actual TV channels. Do you think they don't fairly represent, you know, the female entrepreneur, you know, on telly? Do you think there's something that's holding it back kind of nearly institutionally within that kind of media sector? So I think there's, there, there is huge progress happening all the time. And I don't think that yeah. the blame lies in any one place. It, it, it isn't like that. Um, the, the biggest 
initial challenge is that culturally women don't like, and I'm, I'm using inverted commas, but you can't see them, um, boasting <laughs> about their achievements. So yeah. women are culturally, typically taught to be um, humble. And, and, and the problem is, is in order to inspire the next generation of female entrepreneurs, you kind of have to shout about your achievements a little bit. And that's something yeah. that, you know, we struggle with so I know an incredible woman. I don't want to embarrass her, but she knows she, in 20 years, she, I'm not going to say her name because I'm going to say a number and she wouldn't like it. But in 20 years, she grew her business from nothing to a, a valuation of over two and a half billion, almost single-handedly. And no one's ever heard of her. <laughs> and, and so if, if we don't, if we don't know those characters and we don't know those stories, and, and it isn't all on the media and the PR industry, it is also about the women choosing to come forward and, and, and deciding yeah. that actually it's not your duty, it's still a choice, but, but there is a huge benefit. So when I met her, she changed my life because I thought, oh my God, she could do it. That's possible. That is possible. It's not a wildly yeah. dissimilar business to, to this one. So it's, again, you kind of let the you know, it makes you think bigger. So going back to that kind of yeah. the dream bigger campaign that we did for NatWest, it makes you think bigger. What is possible? Actually, if I raise this much investment, I can get here. But why not raise this much and go there? And, and do you think that, that must be another part of it, isn't it? Is that kind of like you say, that, that brought up to be humble, that kind of imposter syndrome, which I think all in business can suffer from, but maybe female entrepreneurs suffer from it more. Um but it is also that piece around, yeah, I get it now. It's that role model piece. And if we don't hear the role models, they don't get the stories. So therefore, people don't think bigger. Do you think there's a generational change, though, that for the better? That, you know, if you go back 10, 15 years, even male entrepreneurs were very, it's alpha male world, you know, you know, survival of the fittest. And even the female entrepreneurs that would succeed were very alpha female like character and, and we have had this generational shift and we that you know hopefully will now continue which is actually you know you don't need to be that ego you don't have to bring your ego into business and in fact better success is created without ego that that will help equate the balance that more women will become more prominent i, I think it's a really important question and i think you know i i typically it helps me to look at it from a sort of jungian perspective that's sort of how i see the world so that's kind of masculine and feminine aren't man and woman so you know yeah. when we think of it like that the masculine from a Jungian perspective, is kind of arrow-like. So this is a problem, I will solve it. And, and feminine, and obviously we're all men and women, a combination of the yeah. two is, is circular. And let's think around the problem and let's, let's work out a solution. So you've got kind of got capitalism or circular economy. That kind of I mean, yeah. really sort of in a really basic way. Um, and actually, I would be the first to and I think, again, it's important that people are honest about it. In order to be successful at the beginning of my journey, and for a long part of it, I did business like a man, for sure. Okay. So you look at someone like Whitney Wolfhard, and she has always run her business in a feminine way incredible maternity policies, incredible, you know, 80%, uh, you know, um, women in the company. It's a, her product is obviously a dating app focused, uh, you know, uh, directed towards women, et cetera, et cetera. So she's really in that space. 
Um, for me, I remember, you know, just before I had my first child, I was on a shoot and I did, I was eight and a half months pregnant and I did a 16 hour day. And that was what was expected of, of women in the industry. Then if you wanted to work in production, and obviously it's kind of, yeah. I've got a broad spectrum of things that I, I work across. But if you want to work in production, it's long days. And there was no way of being a pregnant woman and not doing, you can't leave halfway through the shoot. You can either do the shoot or not do it really. Um, and so I definitely was like that. And it's been one of the kind of greatest um, joys of my life to start sort of taking off the armor and thawing and just becoming myself and saying yeah, because I'm going to put my kids to bed I won't take calls at that time or whatever and then you kind of and I don't expect it of the women that work for me I don't expect someone who's coming back from maternity leave or breastfeeding or you know or is a single mum to go on a shoot for 16 hours and it must feel great because I, I think it's a, I mean, it's a journey I've been on you know 17 18 years into Kind of having left corporate life and formed a number of businesses is it took me a long time to do exactly what you said is which is be me yeah I always thought I had to be somebody else and therefore you know actually when you learn and you get that confidence and I suppose confidence comes with a bit of success doesn't it and then you can go right this is me so I'm gonna be me and that's when I think true happiness success and and you can feel satisfied in what you're doing but I think that is a challenge even for, you know, for any entrepreneur, anybody starting a business is that, you know, how can they be true to themselves? Because it can be difficult, can't it? I think it's really difficult. And I think you're not true to yourself every day. I think you cross your own moral compass. I think you, and, and what good looks like is when you've done it, knowing it and going back and unpicking what you've done. I mean, we're yeah. not perfect we're human (laughs) and I think you have to always wake up and go I you know if I did my best it's not always going to be you know um and and I do like you I think that journey to true authenticity in the workplace and being yourself um is is tough it doesn't it doesn't I definitely wasn't myself fully formed the day I started media zoo I've you know I was a kind of I had a a persona and the persona was I'm gonna be as good as a man um and mm. not just whoever I am just different so what would you do differently if you go back 19 years to 2003 and you're you know founding the company again what would you do differently in hindsight is there anything you'd do differently well there's loads of things but I think weirdly I actually I really regret not doing an MBA so I think okay. And I, I think that's, it's different for different people, but I think the connections that you make, I think um, what happened for me, and, and this does all tie into answering your question, was that when I had my first child, um, I took some time off and I went to this little club uh, called Cupcake and it had a mumpreneur class and it, you, it had a crash and you put your baby in the crash and you went and studied the, the lady who founded it uh, was called Karen, and she became uh, the chief of staff in the end of Amazon in Seattle. But before she did that, she was um, the marketing director at American Express. And then she left that and set up her own business, which was Cupcake. And I just randomly happened in, and she had been to the London Business School and done an MBA. And she ran these classes and she would print off her notes and hand them out. And that was the first time I ever learned 
This is how you market your business. This is how you raise capital. This is how you think about yeah. business plan. This is where you're going. Without her, oh, I just tot I was totally clueless. And so it was just organic growing as it grew and yeah. putting one foot in front of the other. And it just sort of went wherever it went. Because of her and her generosity, I learned to, how to plan it and think about where I wanted it to go. And I mean, it's completely down to her. And you know, my, my, the women that have helped me along the way have been phenomenal, I'm incredibly lucky. But that, that was utterly, utterly game-changing, having a little bit of time and, um, and doing that. And I think looking back, business is a skill, isn't it? It's a skill that you can learn. Now, some people are really naturally entrepreneurial. Like I like selling stuff and, you know, I'll put stuff on the pavement and sell it. And I used to sell secondhand cars and I was always setting up little businesses. I'm, you know, that's in me. But the skill bit of it, that wasn't in me. Yeah, it's interesting though. But skill, um, in my personal opinion, maybe it'd be interesting to see what you think. I, I think the more skill you gain and actually I think we all start our businesses perhaps not thinking we need some of those skills and we do then go on courses or we find mentors you know for me I think it, it was finding mentors that would just keep me in check and just point me in the right direction or saying we'll go and read about this or go and do that I think skills is something and I think you will have greater chance of success with skills but you still need that intuition don't you, you still need that ability to ass assess risk and take the calculated risks and I think that's this kind of nature nurture thing isn't it is you know our business owners entrepreneurs born or bred um you know i suppose you're saying you need a, you, you can learn to become an entrepreneur business owner so i think i think there's a huge i, I suspect there's some people that should never do it i mean interestingly yeah. karen who i adore her business failed um and uh and it, the consequences of that for her, well, it's her personal story, I won't go into it, but they were catastrophic. So mm. she really did, you know, lose everything. And um, then bounced back and became a phenomenally successful, phenomenal um, uh, leader at Amazon. So I think not everybody is destined to be an entrepreneur. And she always said to me afterwards, that wasn't my journey. And learning everything at London Business School wouldn't doesn't give you that, that nous, you know? No. But I do think there is a whole swathe of people who don't even consider entrepreneurship who would be amazing. And I think, yeah. so that starts with the role modeling and putting the idea in people's heads. And that's, you know, that, that's a kind of, right now in your career conversations at school, no one's ever gonna say to you ever thought about being an entrepreneur. And that's something that has to happen. You know, um, entrepreneurs are incredibly important to the economy. We provide jobs and, and, you know, solve society's problems. And I think the other thing, and actually I wanted to pick up on this because I thought it was such a good question you asked me earlier about the role we have to play as an industry. And I think that entrepreneurship needs a rebrand. I really, really mm. think that. So we still think Ferraris, Fast Cars, Pinsup Shoots, the 80s and Alan Sugar. Social media. Well, it's yeah. the social media thing as well, isn't it? It's that perception yeah. that, you know, Greed. that's what it's all about. It's yeah. get rich quick. Yeah. yeah, all that. And actually, like you said earlier, that, that isn't why most entrepreneurs do it. It's problem solving. Yeah. It's big challenges in society. And it's such a noble, you know, 
it, it can be such a noble pursuit. For so few people, it's about greed and money. It's not. It's about making things, solving things, helping people. That's yeah. what it's about. And we don't think of entrepreneurship like that. And therefore, most people are repelled by it as a thought. And it only attracts a sort of niche audience as it were and so again if when we hear from more diverse business owners about more interesting and diverse businesses then I think we begin to understand um, the potential and I think hopefully inspire the next generation and I think you know now we can see but you know post-covid with the hustle kind of culture um, more and more people are starting their own businesses and more and more people yeah. are seeing the potential and the benefits and that's brilliant and um, that can only be a brilliant thing for all of us absolutely definitely definitely and I suppose you know we touched on you know that pause you had and that kind of self kind of education piece that you, you had when you had your first child, I suppose running your own business, how's that affected your personal life? You know, being entrepreneurial as a character, you know, how, how's that impacted on you and your family? Um, so I think it has had an impact. I was, um, I, I was by myself when I had my daughter. So I, um, had a, a, this amazing uh, girl who lived with me. So I was very free because I didn't have to get home for the childcare or anything like that because um, she uh, took care of my daughter. Um, but I think the impact that it's had on my family um, is, is that I now see, now we can all work from home and we can get home early and make up the work in the evening. I never gave my per myself permission to do that. So my daughter's 14 and my son's 11. And I think the benefits for them have been that my son assumes that all women run businesses. <laughs> and, Brilliant. you know, he totally doesn't, you know, like he's always being asked, like someone said, I think the other day, oh, your dad drives a nice car. Uh, what does he do for a living? And he was like, oh, no, no, it's my mum. He, he's at home with us. And, um, you know, my mum bought the car. But... <laughs> it, it's it's that sort of just not assuming that that men are going to be the kind of the, the breadwinner yeah. winners so that's important so he's seen that and you know um but but there was a price to pay you know i missed stuff i wasn't there mm -hmm. um and now i don't think i'd have to miss anything because the world has changed yeah. um so yeah, I think that has all been for the good for all entrepreneurs that you don't feel like you have to be in the office and be seen. Yeah, I mean, that, that is something in the last two years that has changed, isn't it? And absolutely will fuel a different generation, a new generation. And like you say, maybe a generation with more diversity in its business ownership and leaders and entrepreneurs, which would be great. I would like to come back because I loved this Zunis concept. So I'm going to have to come back to that as part of the conversation. Is the principle behind that you think that the educational sector isn't giving you the individuals that you would need for your business? Or is it something else that has driven you to create the Zoo University? I think there are huge challenges with the education sector in this country, but that isn't <laughs> that isn't that the reason we they still wouldn't be probably leaving with the skills that we need. So um I think you know, the, the business answer is, 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 you know, is simply we are expanding at an incredibly rapid rate and we cannot find the talent that we need for the roles that we have. So that's that's a simple answer. Um, 
There is also the fact that if we can give young people digital skills that make them immediately employable, pretty much, or you know, after a 12-week course, employable, um, that is hugely valuable, uh, and 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 that matters. And so, if we come back to you know what fills you with joy, what gives you purpose, um, grads often, and they they don't have to be grads to go on the, uh, to to become a Zuni, but at all. Um, and I would hate to think anyone to think that, but but ultimately, um, they often come into the workplace not really ready to work. This is, I think, this has yeah. changed hugely in that you think. It, 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 I don't know if I can articulate this well. Um, some young people now start at a level that it would have taken you ten years to get to. So that's the truth, yeah? So especially in filmmaking, yeah. yeah? So you wouldn't have been allowed to edit stuff, film stuff, do all that. And yet people come into the workplace sometimes now fully baked, okay? So they can do everything. And you can see that as long as you've taught them your processes, they're actually, you know, almost ready to go. It's incredible. And I mean, that would have been unheard of. 10 yeah. years ago it was you know you had to do two years in sound and then you everybody to... was held back that little yeah. bit there was yeah, yeah there was ladders there was a ladder to climb yeah. yeah and people turn up now and they're like you know 21 they can do everything and they're incredible with the clients and they can film everything and edit everything they're just amazing you're like <laughs> oh my god you're incredible but but there is also a huge kind of uh, a huge amount of young people that 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 come to us looking for employment that, that don't have a, despite spending years in the education system, often getting a degree, that, that don't have a single real skill that we can use on day one. Um, and there yeah. is a skills crisis in this country. So, I mean, there, there is a severe skills crisis, and especially in the digital sector. And so if we want bright and brilliant young people to have the skills that we need for the jobs that we have, we have to give them them. It's as simple as brilliant. that. And good for you and just investing in that and creating that. And obviously there is a, there's a business case for doing it. But yeah, the fact that you're prepared to invest and grow your own and really put, you know, your, the business behind doing that is incredible. And yeah, it, it, very, very inspirational to hear. So as we sort of like start to sort of wrap up our conversation, I wouldn't mind just touching on the sort of PR creative comms kind of world and where do you there's obviously been a huge shift you know let alone in the 19 years but in the last five years in terms of comms and creative comms and pr in the uk and and in the world where do you see that world in five years time if you had your crystal ball where do you think we're going in terms of the creative sector and comms and and what are we going to start to see do you think well, I do think if we're talking about five years, I, I think it's going to take five years for the metaverse to, to really become um, what I think we all thought it was going to be in 12 months, if that makes yeah. sense. So I think that the possibility uh, that the metaverse uh, allows us and allows brands and us as, as either filmmakers, content creators, uh, PRs, uh, consumers, is phenomenal. And I think if you just sort of look at, I don't know, uh, your kids playing Roblox or something, and you think about the brand experiences that they could have within a game like that. Um, so I think in gaming, it's kind of, it's it's almost ready to go. But we create quite a lot of 360 content. 
Um, and we experiment an awful lot in that space. And people still don't really like wearing the headsets. I mean, I, I've got like some some big things are all embargoed. But, you know, when you get to that point where you're like, just like, we're going to put the headset on and that kind of thing. And those kind of experiences, they're still, we're not there yet. We're just not there in the user experience. So, but we will get there. And I think that will be um, game changing. I think the authentic piece as well. I think this is, you know, because of fake news, because of COVID, because of so many things, this kind of yearning for um, a human experience, uh, an authentic experience. Um, and, and the, I think probably, and this is bigger than PR, but it, but it affects everything, is that businesses have to stand for something consumers will not tolerate businesses that don't have an authentic story that stand for something that matter and you know whether it's you know companies like nova nordisk and the triple bottom line where they're not just measuring you know profit they're they're measuring um the the impact on people and uh, on the planet and i think this is so important and i think the stories that we tell around that whether we do it in the metaverse or we do it in the financial times or or going that is not that that piece is just going to accelerate and but it changes everything doesn't it you know our purpose as a business is to use our creativity as a force for good. Uh, and so, you know, we will, and it's complex and it's nuanced. You know, we've, uh, one of the campaigns that we have done in the last 12 months was we launched an over-the-counter um, contraceptive pill uh, aimed at young girls and it's the first one well we did the PR around it. We didn't create the pill and do that, you know. But, <laughs> yeah. but something like that, you know, use your creativity as a force for good that isn't always going to be seen as a force for good for everybody but but we believe in that we think it is using our creativity as a force for good and it's very complicated sometimes it's nuanced there's a fine line um and uh for me ensuring that young girls have access to emergency contraception is 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 you know, the kind of it matters yeah. and I care about it. Um, and the Dream Bigger campaign, using our creativity as a force for good. And we do a lot of things that are kind of inside and outside businesses. That's really interesting because I, I can see, you know, I can see and, and the listeners will hear the passion that you have for some of these subjects that we've talked about. But, you you know, you're a lot, you still own a manage, you know, you still, you're co-founded, still driving it. So your purpose can cascade through but does there get to a point where the organization comes so big that you know your sense of values doesn't cascade through the organization do you think that's a risk for media zoo there's definitely a risk well i mean there's the values piece and there's the entrepreneurial spirit of an organization and they're and definitely the entrepreneurial spirit of this organization and and many businesses as they scale is one of the things that gets under greatest attack you need the level of kind of process and management uh, to come into the business. And that also stifles creativity, crushes responsibility and, and all that stuff. So that, that doesn't allow filming in the corridors, doesn't allow no, a hotel bill to be you paid. Could make up, you know, oh, you could, I, I mean, I'm like, I can't, I really, yeah. Yes, exactly that. We, yeah. we do allow people to film everywhere, but um, but 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 it becomes, there's red tape, et cetera, et cetera. The values piece, I think is, I don't want my values, my personal values, to be imposed on any other human. I want to 
create a business where their values can fit. So we can have companies. Sh- yeah. <laughs> but surely there's got to, there has, and very much in the early days, but even 19 years in, surely there's got to be alignment for you to want to lead a business that does resonate with your personal values. You know, I, I get your personal values can't 100% be kind of cascaded in, force-fed into the business, but there has to be alignment, Rachel, surely. Otherwise, you'll end up leading a business that you don't feel like you belong in. Well, but it's called the zoo, and diversity is <laughs> the secret of its success. I want people here that don't agree with me. I want people who have radically different values to me. As, but obviously, in terms of the, the way we... Um, answer the call of our clients and the the projects and and the quality of the work that we do and why we do it we have to we there has to be common ground where we all come together of course Mm. but but yeah I don't need everybody to share my values and they won't and I like that that diversity of thought is incredibly important and you know I think you know, it's one of the things that, that we've kind of risked in cancel culture. I want, you know, people to be brave. I want them to be outspoken. Yeah. I want them to be pioneers. I want them to feel that, you know, that they can have challenging and difficult conversations. And I think that's absolutely critical. And yeah, I I, I don't share the religious beliefs of lots of the people I work with. I don't share the spiritual no. beliefs. I don't share the political beliefs, all these things. And it's wonderful. <laughs> Yeah, diversity is great, isn't it? I, and, I, and, I, and that is such a fantastic response. And I get the whole zoo piece and, <laughs> and all of those things. But I think you're giving yourself discredit because I think one of your, even in the short conversations, first conversation we ever had, Rachel, I think your openness to new ideas, your openness to accepting others and, and listening to others is probably one of your core values. So I think it does, I would say it does <laughs> resonate through your organisation. Um, so... We've got so much more I could talk to you about, but we do need to wrap up our conversation. So as we sort of come to the end of the discussion, I always ask this sort of same question. And I think our listeners will get a feel for this throughout the conversation we've had, Rachel, is what is your own personal definition of success? Oh, um, well, first of all, you have to have enough money to fulfill your imagination. So it does matter. And I would never say it doesn't matter. It, it just doesn't, it, it ceases to matter very quickly. So that absolutely has to happen. Um, so it's all about, you, you know, your imagination. And um, for me on a personal level, I do, this isn't the pithy short answer that I should have given you, but I have three year, five year, I have goals and I see exactly where I'm going to be and what I'm going to do. And so I imagine it and then I make it come true. And it just has to be uh, fun. And they're personal goals that you have. You set yourself those 12, three-year, five-year goals. And you, you, you know, you, you're obviously believing and really believing them as a vision and, and creating the image of them and, and then fulfilling them. I think it's about, it, it, it's, it feels like um, painting with your life. So the definition, if I try to give it a sentence, the definition is leading, leading an intentional life where you imagine what you want to do and make it come true. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's an amazing sentiment to end this conversation, Rachel. If people want to learn more about you, more about Media Zoo, where can they go? 
Oh, well, uh, I'm my for social media. I'm most active on LinkedIn, um, but also okay. I'm happy to be contacted at Rachel at MediaZoo.tv. I pretty much get back to people um, within a sensible time frame. Um, LinkedIn is is definitely the best place. I'm pretty active on that. So, and obviously there's the MediaZoo website um, if you want to come and have a look at at what we do. <laughs> Brilliant. Rachel, thank you for being such a passionate guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. It's been great to have this conversation with you and learn about some of those passions and those beliefs you've had. And just thank you for so honestly sharing it with our listeners. Thank you so much. I've had such fun. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.